You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, my beautiful brainiacs. It's that time again. The last few days of September into the first few days of October are Band Book Week. While I contend with a backslide in my recovery from my acute health incident, let's let Moxie from two years ago tell you all about some surprisingly common banned books with a very special guest. A content warning before we begin. There will be frequent references to mature subject matter, including sexual assault, but no details or salty language. My mom's listening, after all. Walk into your local library this week, and you'll likely see a display of books that have been banned in different times and places for a variety of reasons. Standard choices include Animal Farm, Fahrenheit 451, Huckleberry Finn, and maybe more recent editions like The Kite Runner. Most of us glance past it as we walk by, but not so for a group of pastors in Maine. They wanted to ban the display of banned books. My name's Moxie. And this is your Brain on Facts. The pastors didn't seem to mind the books that were banned for racist language, violence against women, or drug use. Just the ones that shine a positive light on LGBTQ characters. The library refused to remove any of the books from the display. And one can only hope opened a dictionary to the entry for irony. Banned books fall into two major categories those banned by specific institutions, such as a school district, and those banned by countries. According to the American Library Association, over 11,300 books have been challenged since the origin of Banned Books Week 33 years ago. Over the years, the most popular reasons for challenging books were offensive language, sexually explicit content, and the book being unsuitable for a particular age group. Books are most often challenged by individual parents rather than organizations, teachers, or religious groups. Not that that doesn't happen. And most challenges are to school libraries. School districts take these challenges seriously. Teachers have been fired for teaching banned classics, such as One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and The Catcher in the Rye. One teacher was suspended for reading students' Ender's Game when a parent complained that it was sexually explicit. You'd be surprised at the authors who wind up on this list. Judy Bloom has five books on the list of the most frequently challenged books of the 1990s, including some of her most popular titles, like Tiger Eyes and Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. The media empire founding Harry Potter books are, taken collectively, the most banned or challenged of the previous decade, for their portrayal of magic and witchcraft. Not that it stopped them from selling millions of copies. The most printed book in the world is also one of the most widely banned. At present, the Bible is banned outright in Saudi Arabia. In a number of other countries, the Bible has been considered extremist material, and translating, distributing, selling, or promoting it is outlawed or made prohibitively difficult. Historically, some countries banned the Bible only in certain versions or languages. The Bible written in Spanish was prohibited in Spain from the 16th to the 19th century. 
1234, King James I of Aragon ordered the burning of Bibles that had been written in the common tongue, you know, that poor people could actually read and understand. In 2015, Russia banned imports of the Jehovah's Witnesses' New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. Bonus fact, if some Latter-day Saints knock on your door, A. Be nice, and B. Tell them you'll listen if they'll help you with that yard work you've been putting off. Odds are good, they'll do it. When you think of countries banning books, you may think of totalitarian regimes and dictatorships trying to keep their people in the dark. But one of the most likely countries to ban a book is the Republic of Ireland. A Committee on Evil Literature was formed under their Department of Justice in 1926. The Censorship of Publications Acts allows books to be banned that were considered to be indecent or obscene, as could newspapers whose content relied too much on crime, which is kind of their shtick, and works that promoted the unnatural prevention of conception or that advocated abortion. Ireland's culture at the time was strictly religious, with the nation being about 93% Catholic, and this was the fundamental philosophy behind the censorship laws. In 1933, President Eamon de Valera felt that the arts in Ireland were to be encouraged when they observed the holiest traditions, but should be censored when they failed to live up to this ideal. What sorts of things failed this litmus test? A by no means exhaustive list includes The Grapes of Wrath, Of Mice and Men, Brave New World, The Sun Also Rises, and A Farewell to Arms. Contrary to popular belief, though, James Joyce's frequently challenged and banned Ulysses was never banned in Ireland because it was never imported or offered for sale for fear of such a ban and the associated legal costs. Australia in particular has taken a hard line to a number of bestsellers. American Psycho, the source material for the Christian Bale yuppie serial killer movie, has been banned for sale or purchase in the state of Queensland and even now is only available to persons over 18. The infamous Marquis de Sade's 120 Days of Sodom was banned, though not until 168 years after it was first published. You might remember it from the Bastille section of our History episode. Even more tardy to the party was their ban on Giovanni Boccaccio's The Decameron, which was temporarily banned twice in the early 20th century despite first having been published in 1353. Australia was quicker to act on D. H. Lawrence's Lady Chatterley's Lover, for what should be kind of obvious reasons, for 40 years after it was published in 1928. James Joyce's Ulysses was off the shelves for a decade, then restricted to 18 plus for a decade more. You couldn't get a copy of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World in the mid-30s, or Hedy Lamarr's autobiography, Ecstasy and Me, in the late 60s. Bonus fact, though she's best known for acting, Lamarr actually held a patent for a frequency-hopping device to prevent radio-controlled torpedoes in World War II from being jammed. The Navy was skeptical of civilian inventions, but her work formed the basis for technology still in use today. Housewife-approved pulp author Jackie Collins has seen multiple books, like The Stud and The World is Full of Married Men, banned in Australia. 
No explanation needed for this reporter. The Land Down Under also banned The Anarchist Cookbook and How to Make Disposable Silencers. Video game enthusiasts won't be too surprised by this list. Australia has a similar stance when it comes to pointlessly violent games like Manhunt, survival horror games like Silent Hill, and games whose main selling point is raunchy humor like Leisure Suit Larry and South Park. The government refuses to give these games a rating, and therefore they can't be sold. One of the big names in unsurprisingly banned books even resulted in a criminal suit. Lady Chatterley's Lover by D.H. Lawrence tells the story of a young married woman whose upper-class husband is paralyzed in the Great War and who has an affair with the gamekeeper, who is of course working class. It was banned by U.S. Customs and the governments of Ireland, Poland, Australia, Japan, India, and Canada. China banned the book because it would, quote, corrupt the minds of young people and is against the Chinese tradition. Lawrence's home country of Great Britain prosecuted the publisher, Penguin Books, under the Obscene Publications Act in 1960, though the act did allow that lewd-seeming works could be permitted if it could be established that they had literary merit. The trial lasted for six days, after which the jury of three women and nine men handed down a verdict of not guilty. This resulted in a far greater degree of freedom for publishing mature material in the United Kingdom. The second edition, published the following year, contained the foreword. For having published this book, Penguin Books was prosecuted under the Obscene Publications Act, 1959, at the Old Bailey in London, from 20 October to 2 November 1960. This edition is therefore dedicated to the twelve jurors, who returned a verdict of not guilty and thus made Lawrence's last novel available for the first time to the public in the United Kingdom. Australia wasn't done with Lady Chatterley, though. They also banned a book about the trial. Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov has lent its name to the popular lexicon with the story of a middle-aged literature professor's obsession with a 12-year-old girl with whom he becomes sexually involved after he becomes her stepfather. Entire nations took umbrage to this plot, including France, England, Argentina, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, Burma, Belgium, and Austria, and at the local level in some American communities. Though it was first published in 1955, it was challenged at least as recently as 2006, when Marion County, Florida commissioners voted to have a county attorney review the novel that addresses themes of pedophilia and incest to determine if it meets the state law's definition of unsuitable for minors. I'm going to go with yes, just off the cuff. If you're going to anger entire countries, you might as well anger as many as you can. 80s babies should remember lots of news mentions and late-night monologue jokes about The Satanic Verses by Salman Rushdie. This novel tells the story of two Indian expats in England who survive the bombing of a hijacked plane and are essentially transformed into the Archangel Gabriel and Satan. There's also a subplot with a Prophet Muhammad-like character. Its publication in 1988 so angered some Muslims that Iran's Ayatollah Khomeini issued a fatwa, or religious edict, stating, I inform the proud Muslim people of the world that the author of the Satanic Verses, which is against Islam, the Prophet, and the Quran, 
and all those involved in its publication who were aware of its content, have been sentenced to death. Rushdie went into hiding for a decade. Multiple people associated with publishing the work in translation were attacked and injured or killed. The Satanic Verses was banned in Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Somalia, Sudan, Bangladesh, Malaysia, Qatar, Indonesia, South Africa, and India because of its criticism of Islam. Copies were burned in West Yorkshire, England, and it was temporarily withdrawn from bookstores on advice from police. Five people in Pakistan and one in Kashmir died in riots about the book. In 1991, in separate incidents, the Japanese translator was stabbed to death and the Italian translator seriously wounded. In 1993, five years after the book first came out, its Norwegian publisher was shot and seriously injured. The governments of Bulgaria and Poland restricted its distribution. Across the world in Venezuela, owning or reading it was declared a crime with a penalty of 15 months imprisonment. In Japan, the sale of the English-language edition was banned under threat of fines. Salman Rushdie recounted this controversy in his 2012 memoir, Joseph Anton, which was one of the names he used while in hiding. Quick bonus fact, Rushdie was married to professional model and top chef host Padme Lakshmi for three years. The topic of books banned by countries may bring to mind examples like All Quiet on the Western Front, being banned from Nazi Germany for insulting the Weimark, or the Bible being banned in Maoist China and modern-day North Korea. But the United States has banned more than its fair share of books. The worst of it traces back to the Comstock Act, a federal statute passed all the way back in 1873. Named for Anthony Comstock, the act criminalized publication, distribution, and possession of what he considered to be obscenity, including information on contraception. Violators could receive up to five years hard labor and a fine of up to $2,000, which is at least $50,000 in modern money. It was very subjective, covering everything from birth control and sex toys to steamy personal letters, the Canterbury Tales and the Arabian Nights, to Paul Emile Shabazz's painting, September Morn, the lovely image of a lady bathing in a shallow lake. Remnants of this act have clung onto our law books well into the 1990s. You wouldn't expect sweeping oppression from our neighbor to the north, but Canada relatively recently passed a law that sounded like a sensible defense of the reading public, but was actually an overpowered tool for repressing LGBTQ expression and representation. In the 1992 case, R. V. Butler, their Supreme Court declared that not only depictions of sex with violence, but also sex without violence that is degrading and dehumanizing, particularly toward women, could be outlawed as obscene. It seemed like a victory for about six weeks. Then Toronto police confiscated the lesbian magazine Bad Attitude from a bookstore and charged the store's owner with obscenity. A legal battle ensued, but the High Court upheld the charges. Later that year, an Ontario court permitted the censorship of all gay and lesbian magazines, holding that the representation of gay sex is inherently degrading and dehumanizing. Its reasoning? You may want to sit down for this. Same-sex intimacy is inherently devoid 
of, quote, any real meaningful human relationship, end quote. Under this rationale, Canadian customs officers began tracking every package sent to gay and lesbian bookstores across the country, confiscating the contents and charging sellers with obscenity. Gay rights groups challenged the confiscations, but eventually they ran out of money and were forced to give up the fight. As far as my research indicates, that law remains in effect today. Some of the great classics we were made to read in school have faced multiple challenges, both failed and successful. Catcher in the Rye has faced dozens of challenges since it was published in 1951, accused of being, in no particular order, obscene, vulgar, sexually explicit, profane, blasphemous, immoral, violent, occulty, anti-white, and according to one parent in 2001, quote, a filthy, filthy book. The Grapes of Wrath had it even worse. The East St. Louis Library burned their copies the year it came out. John Steinbeck also raised controversy with Of Mice and Men, which opponents complained was profane, blasphemous, and depressing, and even accused the author of being un-American. It was banned by entire cities. Harper Lee's classic, To Kill a Mockingbird, the only school assignment book I ever went back and read for enjoyment, has been accused of being, quote, a filthy trash novel. Challenged for having the words damn and whore, having the N-word, naturally being about race in the South in the first half of the 20th century, and being counterproductive to racial integration. Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, by Mildred D. Taylor, which everyone should read, has been challenged repeatedly for insensitivity, racism, and offensive language. Lord of the Flies, the tale of marooned British schoolboys turning feral, has been challenged for its violence and language, but never successfully banned. Lois Lowry's The Giver, which I wish our schools had assigned or even told me about, has seen challenges for its dystopian society's use of euthanasia and occult themes like clairvoyance, in the visions of what the world used to be being passed from one character to another. A separate piece by John Knowles has been challenged repeatedly for profanity, whereas it should be removed for being pointless and boring. Data point of one. The Mac Daddy of challenged classics is Mark Twain's The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, the very first book to be banned by librarians who called it trash and suitable only for the slums. Twain's classic tale of two runaways, one escaping an abusive father and the other escaping slavery, has been consistently challenged since its publication. Nearly every challenge decries the book as racist, citing repetition of the N-word, which is used 215 times. The arguments have changed in the years since 1885. At first, people objected to the low-class speech and poor grammar used in the book, then to the racism, and more recently to the fact that a white man is writing about racism inexperientially. Others state simply that Huck Finn conflicted with the values of the community. Those values? It may be umbraged the fact that a black man is not only a main character, but one of the best people in the book. Twain humanizes Jim and doesn't shy away from portraying slavery as properly evil. Yet another bonus fact? The phrase, Mark Twain, 
is a measure of depth of water using a knotted rope. Twain's real name was, as most people know, Samuel Clemens. Challenged Books is an area where, sadly, female authors of color actually get representation. Alice Walker's The Color Purple is the story of a poor teenage girl in the South, physically and sexually abused by her father, then her husband, told in part through the letters she writes to God and to the beloved sister she separated from. It has faced dozens of challenges for profanity, violence, sexuality, and racist language. It was accused in 1984 of having, quote, troubling ideas about race relation, man's relationship to God, African history, and human sexuality. The Oakland, California school district in which that argument was made went back and forth for nine months before formally approving the book. In Newport News, Virginia, it was put in a special section where students had to prove they were over 18 or have a note from their parents to check it out. Now, watching the movie of A Color Purple is a good start, but please also read the book. Beloved by Toni Morrison is a novel based on a true story which examines the destructive legacy of slavery through the lens of a woman named Setha following her from her pre-Civil War life as a slave in Kentucky to her life as a free woman in Ohio, held prisoner by her memories of the trauma of her life as a slave and the ghost of a daughter she killed to spare her from being enslaved. Those are heavy topics, and the book has been challenged for its violence, language, racism, and it does have a scene of bestiality between a man and a cow. Even being an unofficial but we're still totally counting it poet laureate is not enough to guarantee smooth sailing. Maya Angelou's autobiography, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, which dealt explicitly with race and her rape as a child, has not only been challenged, but banned enough times to hold the number three spot in the American Library Association's 100 Most Frequently Challenged Books in the 1990s, and is one of the 10 books most frequently banned from classrooms and school libraries. A few of many incidents include in 1983, when it was banned by the Alabama State Textbook Committee for, quote, inciting bitterness and hatred toward white people. Bremerton, Washington banned it for the graphic depiction of molestation. One district in Texas deemed it pornographic and full of, quote, gross evils. I don't know if that means they're particularly bad or if there was 144 of them. Parents at Gilbert Unified Schools in Arizona complained it did not represent traditional values. Volusia County, Florida objected because it is sexually explicit and promotes cohabitation and rape. Everything Angelou went through, and it's living with someone she wasn't married to that bothers you? In 1994, it was challenged for being a lurid tale of sexual perversion in Castle Rock, Colorado, and as recently as 2016, parents in Illinois asked for it to be removed from required reading due to the sexual content. And yes, you need to read that one too. Just when you think reasons for challenging or banning books couldn't get any sillier, they do. For more on that, welcome our guests from the Oh No Lit Class podcast. This is Megan Danger from Oh No Lit Class. And so we all know like the big banned books that regularly show up in the most banned lists kind of year in, year out. And what 
their band for, but I'm here to give you a rundown of the more ridiculous, strange, and look, I'm just gonna be honest here, outright stupid book bands that you might not have been aware of. First, we have one about Moby Dick that confounds and delights me that Uh, In 1996, a Texas school district banned the book from its advanced English class list because it, quote, conflicted with their community values. I don't know what that means. How did Moby Dick conflicts with their community values? Like, white whaling? Homoeroticism on the high seas? It's probably that one, actually. No, that, okay, never mind then. Yeah, let's move on. So when you think of banned kids' books, there's Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, uh, as well as books like Bridge Terabithia, because kids die, and they also don't go to church. Instead, they use their imaginations. And then, and just, you know, so you don't think this whole reactionary censorship thing is an old-timey relic of the past. In 2006, parents at a Kansas school district decided that uh, they were going to challenge Charlotte's Web, because talking animals are blasphemous and unnatural. <laughs> because Charlotte writing some pig in a web spits in the eye of God. <laughs> I'm sorry. So here's the one that you think is going to be the weirdest one you're going to hear, and that is, stay with me now, where's Waldo? Dude, yeah, I know you right now you're not asking where's Waldo. You're like, what? why Waldo? Well, the reason is side boob. Yep. Uh, there's apparently in a 1987 copy of go go find yourself a waldo there is a beach scene and someone i don't even know how you spot waldo in most of these somebody found a sunbather lying down and that you can see there you can see a side boob you can see just a little bit of boob probably only with the aid of a magnifying glass who's doing this who is combing through where's waldo look looking for some some errant boob So here, best for last, a book that was banned for perhaps the most ridiculous reason of all, by mistake. And that is Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? by Bill Martin Jr. So this classic children's book was banned uh, very briefly by the State Board of Education in Texas in 2010 because of a mistake. You see, a board member mixed up Bill Martin Jr. with a different author named Bill Martin, who had written a book for adults titled Ethical Marxism, The Categorical Imperative of Liberation. Yeah, yeah. So um, they're like, no, we can't have kids reading Brown Bear, Brown Bear. What do you see? Because it's written by a Marxist. Except here's the thing. This was 2010. This wasn't a mistake someone made in, in like the 80s, which is kind of the last decade where you could excuse this egregiously hilarious lack of fact-checking. This was less than 10 years ago. How does someone on the board of flippin' education not manage to take a hot 30 seconds to Google Bill Martin just, you know, make super duper sure that the beloved author of more than 300 children's books is, you know, just just to make sure, also a dirty Marxist philosopher. Because then you would have found out that he wasn't. That this was two dudes. Two unrelated dudes. (laughs) How does this even happen? Needless to say, this was a short-lived ban. I hope you, you enjoyed this brief tour down the road of real dumb reasons that people try to challenge and ban books and the real dumb books that they'll challenge and ban. I'm Megan. I'm the co-host of Oh No Lit Class, a podcast that 
takes you through all kinds of weird and interesting trivia summaries and author descriptions of the classic literature that you had to read or maybe just skipped in school. We're like spark notes, but on a podcast. And we swear a lot. And sing a lot. Feel free to check us out at onalitclass.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Some reasons for challenges would reduce you to text abbreviations like SMDH and WTF. For example, the 10th edition of Merriam-Webster's Dictionary was banned in several classrooms in California because it contained the definition for oral sex. Not a description of the two main types, simply the entry for oral sex. Again, don't mean to alarm you, but your teenager already knows about it. One edition of Little Red Riding Hood was banned in elementary schools because Red brings her grandmother wine. But Grandma being eaten by a talking, cross-dressing wolf didn't seem to bother them. The immortal life of Henrietta Lacks, whose cervical cells you heard about in our episode Life After Death, enraged a mother in Knox County, Tennessee, who described it as pornographic. This happened three years ago this week, leading author Rebecca Sloot to tweet, Just in time for Banned Books Week. A parent in Tennessee confuses gynecology with pornography and tries to ban my book. The Orson Scott Card sci-fi classic Ender's Game faced a challenge in South Carolina when a 14-year-old student's parents complained not about the story's focus on teenagers being trained to kill, one of whom is tricked into killing hundreds of enemies and their queen. No, this parent said the book was pornographic. If you have any idea which part of this book they're talking about, please go to facebook.com slash yourbrainonfacts, twitter.com slash moxielabouche, leave it on a picture comment on instagram.com slash yourbrainonfacts, because between my husband and I, we don't remember anything sexy being in there. The same thing happened to Flowers for Algernon. Maybe the version I read was expurgated, but I definitely didn't take away the same experience as the various parents who complained that the book was comparable to Playboy, the kind of, quote, books in plastic covers you see at newsstands, containing sexually explicit passages that parents feared would awaken their children's natural impulses. Normally, I'd say, that's where we run out of ideas, at least for today. But I have a lot more on the topic of banned books. I usually try to curtail the script when they're approaching seven pages, but this one spiraled out of control and I decided to let it. So we're going to end this chapter and pick up again next Tuesday. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. 
Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history. If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir de zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. One week later. One ridiculous sounding reason for books being challenged and banned earns its own category. Though they're a mainstay of folklore, fairy tales, and fantasy, talking animals are a deal breaker for some people. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland has been banned in China for portraying anthropomorphized animals acting on the same level of complexity as human beings. My name's Moxie, and this is your Brain on Facts. The censor general Ho Qian believed that attributing human language to animals was an insult to humans. He feared that the book would teach children to regard humans and animals on the same level, which would be disastrous. Charlotte's Web was banned in Kansas because talking animals were considered an insult to God. The talking animals is just one of the reasons that George Orwell's Animal Farm gets the ban hammer in places like Vietnam, North Korea, and the United Arab Emirates. The main reasons are usually its depiction of communism and its foul language. William Stieg's darling book, Sylvester and the Magic Pebble, is about an unassuming donkey transformed into a rock after finding a magic pebble as a be-careful-what-you-wish-for-moral. The anthropomorphic animals didn't sit well with everyone. Police associations in 12 states urged libraries to remove the book because the police officers were depicted as pigs. Even the residents of the Hundred Acre Woods are considered an insult to God by some, resulting in the banning of Winnie the Pooh in parts of the United States. Piglet is a particular problem, as he is seen as being offensive to Muslims, getting the book banned in Turkey and even the UK. Then there are those who claim that Winnie the Pooh is actually about Nazism, and I don't even know where to start with that. Popular reasons for a book to be challenged include racial issues or language, violence, sex, glorifying drug use, normalizing homosexuality, age appropriateness, witchcraft, and anything deemed antithetical to Christian values. A lot of the books in our discussion were challenged in part out of parental fear that they would incite children to rebel, making them question and disobey authority. This protest comes up for such childhood classics as James and the Giant Peach, Harriet the Spy, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Captain Underpants, and two from Shel Silverstein, Where the Sidewalk Ends, and A Light in the Attic, but more about him in a minute. Fear of independent thought in one's progeny seems to diminish with time, but we still see this objection for books read by teenagers like Catcher in the Rye and Dead Poets Society, 
which I'll admit I didn't know was a book. An Illinois pastor complained that he found Dead Poets Society, quote, disturbing, very close to a strong, mild pornography. To me, the book represents a disrespectful attitude toward parents and their judgments. It shows rebellion toward teachers and has graphic, immoral areas. No wonder they made a movie out of it. Also, what qualifies as strong, mild pornography? If my gentle listener is emotionally ready to see Robin Williams again, check the show notes or the website for a link to the amazing Seize the Day remix. If the link isn't there, scream at me on our social media, facebook.com slash yourbrainonfacts, twitter.com slash moxielabouche, or even yell at me on Instagram, instagram.com slash yourbrainonfacts. A staff cartoonist for Playboy magazine, Shel Silverstein began writing children's books in the 1960s. From The Giving Tree to Falling Up, his style was laid back and conversational, with accompanying illustrations that bordered on the absurd. The American Library Association's case file of challenges brought against Silverstein's works reads like a comedy of errors, almost as absurd as the contents of his poems. Little Abigail and the Beautiful Pony, which tells of a child throwing a hissy fit that she'll die if she doesn't get a pony, was banned from second-grade classes in Huffman, Texas, because a mom protested that it exposed children to the horrors of suicide. A Mokwanago, Wisconsin school banned A Light in the Attic because it glorified Satan, suicide, and cannibalism. Multiple schools in Florida banned it for containing violence and encouraging rebellion. One very specific complaint was lodged that it encourages children to break dishes so they won't have to dry them. Where the sidewalk ends was yanked from shelves in another Wisconsin school district over fears that it promotes drug use, the occult, suicide, death, violence, disrespect for truth, disrespect for authority, and rebellion against parents. Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania schools objected to the poem Dreadful over the line, Someone Ate the Baby, because they feared some of their impressionable students would actually be encouraged to try cannibalism. If you've ever acted out something from a Shel Silverstein poem, please post it to your social media and tag us. And add the hashtag Banned Books Week. Why not? If you've ever acted out something from a Shel Silverstein poem, please post it to your social media and tag us. By the way, if my gentle listener is a fair hand at research, feel free to look into the question of why they couldn't find a better picture of Silverstein for the back of his books. Let me know and I'll have you on the show. Well-meaning, pearl-clutching parents may be doing their children a disservice by trying to remove issues from their environment rather than helping their children to understand and interpret them. The controversial book-turned-Netflix series 13 Reasons Why, wherein a fictional teen makes 13 tapes explaining her upcoming suicide, has been a target of censorship since it was first published in 2007. A Colorado school district banned the novel, saying it glamorized suicide. In Ontario, Canada, the story was pulled from school libraries for its negative portrayal of helping professionals. In Alberta, any discussion of the book was prohibited. Parents and school districts worried the series would promote what's called suicide contagion. Author Jay Asher is concerned that hiding this issue away may make things harder for teenagers. 
He said in an interview with PBS, I never understood the power of having books written about your experience, whatever that experience may be, until I wrote one and started hearing from teens. I just got an email from a reader who said that 13 Reasons Why was the first time they felt understood. A book shouldn't be anybody's first time feeling understood, and that's where censorship bothers me. These books need to be out there. A lot of authors see their books being banned or challenged as a badge of honor. But for me, it's nothing but frustrating and upsetting. I hear from readers and now viewers of the Netflix show that my work encouraged them to ask for help or to reach out to someone about the situation they're in. When you hear stories like that on a daily basis, and then you hear adults call for your work to be banned, it's proof of why the stigma around these issues is so dangerous. Some challenges give you the impression that people were expecting something else from the book, essentially not judging the book by its cover. Especially with the cover of Two Boys Kissing by David Levitan, which shows two boys kissing. The story is about two boys trying to set a Guinness record for the longest kiss. It's been challenged not only for depicting homosexuality, but for condoning public displays of affection. The person who wrote that complaint should get some kind of award. A Milwaukee, Wisconsin parent wanted the biography Whoopi Goldberg, her journey from poverty to megastardom, removed from the high school library because it contains curse words. They are possibly unfamiliar with Ms. Goldberg's body of work. And the fact that their high schooler already knows all of the swear words. The school board refused to remove the book, acknowledging some shocking language, but also noting Goldberg's charity work and the book's strong anti-drug message. With a name like Big Hard Sex Criminals, you know it's got to be good. And banned. If the title weren't warning enough, the back cover is embossed with big gold letters. For mature readers. Duh. It's a graphic novel about a couple who stop time when they orgasm so they can rob banks. Three guesses what parents objected to, and the last two don't count. The same goes for Chuck Palahniuk's Fight Club. Yes, the one the movie's based on. And Tom Wolfe's The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. The title, The Day No Pigs Would Die, by Robert Newton Peck, should have made it no surprise that there was going to be animal-oriented violence and other shenanigans of nature. Even still, parents cited those chiefly among the reasons that landed the book in the American Library Association's Top 100 for the previous decade. One teacher in Utica, New York, was having none of this foolishness and actually quit her job after the school banned the book. I was in the middle of editing today's episode when I realized I forgot to record a review the first time around. So let's make it a double, because I got reviews from two of my favorite podcasts. The Strange Animals Podcast, which is a must for any animal lover, says, The content is always interesting and well-researched, and I love Moxie's voice. And my friend Brisky from over at the Turn of Phrases Podcast great if you've ever wondered why we say the strange things that we say. She says, I love learning and laughing. This podcast helps me do both. It's entertaining and exciting and makes your brain smarter. What's not to love? What not indeed? So when you're done with this episode, gentle listener, do check out 
the Strange Animals and Turn of Phrases podcasts. Reviews are greatly appreciated because they help to make Your Brain on Facts more likely to be found by people searching for podcasts. But the very best way to help us out is to share the podcast on your social media. Don't worry about making a post for it. Just pop over to our Facebook or Twitter and share the pinned post of this episode. Some challenges and bannings seem obvious with the benefit of hindsight. You could hardly come up with a better example than Anthony Burgess's A Clockwork Orange. It was removed from high schools in Colorado and Massachusetts for objectionable language, and removed but later reinstated on a restricted basis in Alabama and other areas. Objections to Clockwork Orange weren't limited to schools and libraries either. In 1973, a bookseller in Orem, Utah, was arrested for selling the novel. The charges were later dropped, but the bookseller found themselves forced to close their store and relocate to another city. Many a challenge or banning has been the textbook definition of ironic. Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 is a novel about the future and the banning and burning of books. It was banned because one of the books that gets burned is the Bible. The Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank is the incredible first-hand account of an ever-hopeful Jewish girl who was eventually killed in the Holocaust, but never stopped believing in the basic goodness of mankind. It was banned by the Alabama State Textbook Committee in 1983 for being, quote, a real downer. I'd hate to see how they choose the history books. Even books made for the wee ones find themselves in the crosshairs. The Family Book by Todd Parr looks like it was illustrated in crayon, but that didn't charm the eerie Illinois school that objected to the line, some families have two moms or two dads. The Roald Dahl classic, James and the Giant Peach, was banned from elementary schools in Lufkin, Texas, because it contains the word ass. The Little Bill book series has come under fire in the past few years, not for its content, but for its author, Bill Cosby, once-beloved TV dad who has been revealed to be a sexual predator. Again, this is only a half-hour show, and we can't get into the question of separating the art from the artist. Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree has come under fire since it was first published, for everything from its ambiguous moral to being sexist, criminalizing the forestry industry, an accusation that also plagued Dr. Seuss's The Lorax, to the subtext of bad parenting, not because we never see the boy's parents provide for him, but because the tree is portrayed as a mother who spoils him. A lovely book about penguins hatching an egg and raising a chick called And Tango Makes Three by Justin Richardson and Peter Parnell caused righteous indignation when it was published in 2005 because the adult penguins are both male. Before we go any further, this is based on a true story. Tango is the story of a family of penguins living in the Central Park Zoo in New York, where a bonded pair of males were given an untended egg for the nest they had built together. Tango made the American Library Association's top 10 banned books five years in a row for its depiction of homosexuality and gender roles, age appropriateness of the material, and raising the question of what makes a family. Many librarians kept the book available by moving it to a different location, like moving it from picture books to nonfiction. 
Oh yeah, did I mention this repeatedly challenged book is a picture book? If you've had a child in the last 15 years, there's probably at least one Captain Underpants book somewhere in your house. This series, that follows the adventures of two prank-loving young boys who created a superhero called Captain Underpants, actually gets challenged and banned more often than Fifty Shades of Grey. Some parents object to the references to underwear, naturally, the protagonists referring to their principal as a mean old man, and the boys beating up a robot with bits of wood. It all seems like sound and fury amounting to nothing in this reporter's opinion. How can you not love a book that opens with, Some material in this book may be considered offensive by people who don't wear underwear. Let's hope the old adage, even bad publicity is good publicity, holds true, because if you're writing a book for young readers about LGBTQ acceptance, you're going to be getting a lot of it. I Am Jazz is Jazz Jennings' autobiographical picture book of a child that is, quote, born with a girl's brain in a boy's body. It's become something of a gold standard for teaching children and families about transsexuality. It raised controversy in Rockland, California, after a transgender kindergarten student gave some books about her situation to her teacher, and the teacher read them to the class. Some parents complained to the school board about being blindsided, despite having been sent a written notice. The district responded that the books were age-appropriate, fell within the book selection policy, and that unlike sex education, the topic of gender identity did not require prior parental notice. However, the superintendent conceded that staff will be engaging parents and teachers in discussions about how materials outside our curriculum will be addressed in the future. I Am Jazz was not read as planned in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin schools after the Florida-based Liberty Council threatened to sue. The group describes itself as a non-profit litigation, education, and policy organization with an emphasis on religious liberty. Whereas the Southern Poverty Law Center describes them as a hate group that advocates for anti-LGBT discrimination. Alex Gino's George tells the story of a child who is born as George, but comes out as Melissa to her best friend, and eventually to others, through the help of a school play. Five elementary schools in Eastern Oregon withdrew from an annual statewide Battle of the Books competition because of the inclusion of George on the reading list. The book carries an age recommendation of grades 3 through 7, but the school's principals argued it was not appropriate for their 3rd through 5th grade students participating in the competition. My Princess Boy by Cheryl Killa Davis was inspired by the author's son, who enjoys wearing girl clothes even while doing traditionally boy things, and her journey to understand and accept him. The Public Library of Granbury, Texas received more than 50 challenge forms, at least one of which claimed that this book and another title, This Day in June about LGBT history, endorse the gay lifestyle and encourage perversion. Library director Courtney Kincaid moved This Day in June to the nonfiction section, but refused to remove the books. Lesbians and gays are in this community, and they deserve to have items in this collection. City Councilwoman Rose Myers objected that if the books weren't moved from sections where children might see them, they should be removed from the library entirely. Can a four-year-old understand the content of this book without the help of an adult? In my opinion, no. 
to which I would counter with the question, what does a four-year-old understand on their own? They still poop their pants regularly. This literary lather took place in Hood County, which made headlines the same week when a county clerk refused to issue marriage licenses for same-sex couples. The book Stonewall, The Riots That Sparked the Gay Revolution by David Carter, is noteworthy in today's discussion for going into institutions during controversy. In May 2005, the Oklahoma House of Representatives passed a resolution calling on public libraries to remove children's books with references to gay characters or families. In response, gay and lesbian civil rights groups in Oklahoma donated copies of Stonewall to local high schools. The donation was met with conservative outcry, but the Oklahoma City School Board voted to accept the donations. This isn't the only occurrence of government bodies taking on LGBTQ books. Republican lawmaker Gerald Allen proposed Alabama House Bill 30, which would have banned public school libraries from purchasing books with gay characters or by gay authors. A proposed ban in Arkansas would have barred any representation of gay and lesbian people in schools, libraries, and state-funded universities. Republican State Representative Sally Kern from Oklahoma supported House Resolution 1039, which would have required libraries to, quote, confine homosexually-themed books and other age-inappropriate materials to areas exclusively for adult access. The bill also required that no public funds be used in the distribution of such materials to children. Thankfully, none of these made it into law. Good luck to you if you're LGBTQ or an ally in Fayetteville, Arkansas, or even a young person with questions about their body. The group Parents Protecting the Minds of Children has challenged 55 books in their area. I found repeated references to the number of books being 55, but I haven't found a single list. One that I know was challenged was Marion Bower's Am I Blue? Coming Out from the Silence, a collection of short stories about growing up gay or lesbian, or with gay or lesbian parents and friends. Parents Protecting the Minds of Children was having none of it, not only because of the subject matter, but because proceeds from the sale of the book went to PFLAG, Parents and Friends of Gays and Lesbians. The PPMC's GeoCities Looking website, which is difficult to navigate, claims PPMC is trying to reach an equitable solution with school officials from all perspectives. Our objective is not to remove any books from the library, it is simply to enforce our parental right to choose for our children. They seem particularly ruffled by Robbie Harris's It's Perfectly Normal, which contains straight talk and frank illustrations about puberty, masturbation, and sex. It's a bit like 1977's Where Did I Come From?, without which having been loaned to me by my friend Stacy, I would have continued woefully unfamiliar with basic human anatomy and reproduction well into high school. I'm not saying this is because I was raised Catholic, but I'm not not saying that. And that's where we run out of ideas, at least for today. We'll end this two-parter with the face-palmiest reasons for a book being challenged in the United States, and both of them on the same book. At one point, The Wizard of Oz was banned from all public libraries in Chicago because of its ungodly influence for depicting women in strong leadership roles. In 1957, the Detroit Public Library banned the book for having no value for children of today. 
about you let us decide what we and our children should read? Thanks for spending part of your day with me. This is normally where I'd include a word that sounds dirty but isn't, or a word that just kind of makes people cringe, but I've run out. So head on over to our social media and tell me the words you would like to inflict on other listeners. <laughs>